Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. For the weeping mothers, the lost fathers, and the forsaken children, and let them come quickly, for a voice of crying is heard out of Zion. For we are greatly confused, for death has come into our ghettos to cut off the young men and women from the streets of Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Georgia, Ohio, Florida, Mississippi, and throughout America, South America, the Caribbean islands, Africa, Asia, and all over the world. So return unto me, thus saith Yah, and I will return unto you, O my people. Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. 
This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Reggie. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. The listen-only line. If you don't have computer access, access to a smartphone, iPad, tablet, or any other device, it's 605-562-3140. That's 605 562 3140 and that access code is 958590 and the pound sign. Again, that access code is 958590 and pound. If you want to join the conversation from that conference line, just hit star 61 and we'll be able to get you involved in the conversation. We're streaming live at two locations www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. That's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com. That's forward slash time for an awakening. Also, time for awakening is on TuneIn. If you have your desktop, your iPad, your Blackberry, your tablet, TuneIn is a free app. You can download uh, TuneIn. And in the search engine, type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon so you can listen to the program live on any of your devices, even in your car. That's time for Awakening with a live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. That's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for Awakening is also on Facebook with the fan page for the program. Just go to the search engine and Facebook and type in Time for Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by Brother Edge. And before you leave that page, just hit the like button. That's time for an awakening program with the fan page on Facebook. A prisoner at the Michigan Department of Corrections, Marquis Facility. If you feel you're being victimized or extorted by this prisoner, please contact GTL Customer Service at 855-466-2832. To accept this call, press 0. To refuse this call, hang up or press 1. To prevent calls from this facility, press 6. Hello, this is a prepaid call from... Reverend Edward Pankney. Reverend... A prisoner at the Michigan Department of Corrections. Marquis facility. If you feel you're being victimized or extorted by this prisoner, please contact GTL Customer Service at 855-466-2832. To accept this call, press 0. To refuse this call, your current balance is $15.25. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using GTL. Elliot Booker, how you doing? Reverend Pinckney, how are you, sir? 
Hey, I'm doing great. How about yourself? How about yourself? Oh, everything going? We're still out here struggling, Reverend Pickney. I got Brother Reg with us on the line. Reverend okay. Pickney, how you doing, okay. sir? Good to hear your voice. Hey, I'm doing great. How you doing today? Doing I'm, good, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm up here doing the best I can. That's how I can tell you. Reverend Pickney, uh, it's so much I can talk to you about, but I know time is limited. Tell our listening audience about the case and brief, Reverend Pinckney, whatever you can discuss in reference to the case and how you ended up as a political prisoner up there in Marquette Prison in uh, in Michigan. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, here's the thing, you know, which is which is so important. Uh, I've been uh, I've, I've been fighting this battle for a long time. I've been dealing with we did a recall of the mayor of Benton Harbor, who we just found out may have an underage girl pregnant, and he was also doing sex in his office. We reported that, so we did a recall on this mayor. He had to go, but unfortunately, he was protected by Whirlpool Corporation. You see, any time that they have a puppet that they can use, they will use him to their advantage. So what we did, we were successful at, at recalling him because they knew that he was going to lose our landslide, so they came in and decided that they was going to protect him at all costs. So they came up with this idea, which is so incredible that nobody can hardly believe it, that uh, the dates on the recall petition would change. They had five petitions that said that the dates would change on the petition. Uh, they brought in a forensic, and even the people who came to court told them that they may have changed the date themselves. They really didn't remember. I didn't remember. Nobody remember. But unfortunately for us, that don't mean anything when you go into court. When you're dealing, when you're dealing in court, you know, it's, 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 it's a matter of thing. So we went to court, and they had absolutely no evidence that would send me to prison. Now, one piece, matter of fact, the prosecutor got up at the end of the, cloud, uh, at the, end of the uh, trial and stated that we have absolutely no evidence that we can actually send him to prison. But you could still send him to prison. That's what he told the jury. And everybody was in total shock because nobody could believe that he would make a statement on that level. It just so happened that the jury was all white, and we knew that they were motivated by something other than the truth. So we had to deal with that. And then the judge echoed the same thing. He pretty much said, whatever decision you make is going to be final. You see, I, we don't care what it is. If you, if you, if you want to send this guy to prison, you, you can do it, and, it will, uh, 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 and your decision will be final and it will, will most likely not be overturned. Then we got to the Court of Appeals, which was really interesting. In the three-judge panel, one of the judges got up and said, she's not interested in the evidence. Her exact word, we are not interested in the evidence at all. You know, we care less whether there was enough evidence to send him to prison. We want to, we want to talk about other things, you know. And who would believe that today that someone would get up and say that you can be in prison, be convicted of a, of a crime that they know that you didn't commit, and yet until you're sitting in prison over 500 miles from your home and really just a couple of miles from Canada itself, and yet they think it's okay. Nobody, nobody would believe anything like that. But let, let me go on just a little bit further before you start asking questions because go what ahead, I want to do, I want to talk, talk about the, we, we had what we call a food protest here, mm -hmm. which was so tremendous. Over 700 people out of 800 people 
decided that we were not, we was no longer going to eat that mess, which was so incredible because usually inside the prison system, very seldom do you get that many people to unify, and they know that. They show how the prisoners took the prison that day, and 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 they retaliated. That's what they do. They retaliated, and by locking everybody down. And uh, also, they now they didn't you know they switching people all around. Everybody moving. Who cares about that? You know, like I told them, I warned the people. I said there will be some kind, some form of retaliation because this is how they operate. Uh, but when you don't swipe that card, that means that Trinity Food had to return over 700 meal money. We don't know how much they get per meal. Maybe two dollars per meal. We don't know, but whatever it is, it's not worth it. Yeah, look, listen to this. The meat is usually spoiled. The food is spoiled. The food is rotten. You have magnets in the food. You have bugs in the food. Uh, uh, you have what they call it, the potatoes. They call them potato worms in the potatoes. And 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 and, and the rodent waste that 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 be that, you know when you have a lot of rodents around, they they usually uh, 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 defecate on top of the cakes and stuff, and food stuff like that. And rather than you know throwing it away, what they normally do is just just clean it off and then serve it to the prisoners. So when that was reported, that was enough for everybody to move. Uh, and uh, I, I I just want to say you you could you would not believe the prison system. Somebody told you about the prison system, you would be in total shock. You would not believe what really happened inside the prison system. And since I've been here. They have been like, uh, they've been trying to, really trying to torture me. They've been trying to pull every dirty trick you could think of. They first, they accused me of making a three-way call. That's why it's important that I say this is not a three-way call because they, in a, in a minute, if they say it's a three-way call, it's a three-way call. That's how they operate. Okay. Also, yeah, and uh, I was found not guilty of any misconduct, but yet still they cut my phone off for 180 days. Because they can do it. They do whatever they want to do. That's what they do. Also, we had a visitor come to visit me. They tried to accuse me of smuggling something out to prison. They were claiming that I was at the front gate. <laughs> and this is the most ridiculous thing. There's no way possible for me to get to the front gate. But they accused me of being at the front gate, uh, 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 trying to smuggle something out. And once again, I was found not guilty of that. Normally they find you guilty, but I came in with a, with, a, with my argument, and my argument was strong. They said it's impossible for someone to be at that front gate. So, but yet they didn't take away my visiting right, but they wanted to. That's the plan to try to silence me completely. Their goal was to silence me completely. Then they used to put this guy named Spreader. He's a corrector. They had him and, and three or four others to to continually try to intimidate me. You know, I'm 67 years of age, so they figured that we could maybe force him into a heart attack or something like that if we continue to pound on him. But you know what? I'm up for the test. You know, they, you know, they met their match in me because, hey, I, I'm not holding these folks up. And listen to this. Just recently, just the other day, now, I had a visit. And here, and, and one of the things, they don't want you to have any visit. They don't want me to have any visit. And they don't want me to use the telephone. So they're going to try any dirty trick they can to keep me off the phone. But the other day, I had a visitor, and I had to use the washroom. Now, 
they refused to allow me to use the washroom. They had a broke washroom. They said, well, you can use this one right here, but it, it says on there, do not use. It broke, so it was overflowed or something like that. And, and I defecated all over the floor. Then they would probably evoke me a ticket or took me to the hole because they have all kind of tricks that they try to pull. But unfortunately, me, I'm, uh, this is a very, very serious matter. Anytime any inhuman treatment like that, and, and it goes unchecked, who, who know what's next? What are they going to try to pull next? Unless the people take a stand and say no more. Because most of the time, the people out there in the streets, the taxpayers, the taxpayers, the taxpayers are allowed to get away uh, 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 or, or, or not given the knowledge that these things are happening inside the prison system, and this is how they get away with this stuff. And, you know, and they, they need to audit the, these prisons, find out where this money is going. They never ordered the prisons and stuff like that. So we, we got a lot of work to do, but the most important thing that I can say today is that any time that they can send you to prison with absolutely no evidence against you, that means that it's me today and you tomorrow. If they decide that they want to eliminate you, they can do it. And these are professional people. But my job is to make sure they understand that I'm here to fight. I'm fighting back. You know, we, we're getting ready to put some billboards up here in Marquette to, to for, for the prison itself so people can understand where the prison is. We've got people who want to put billboards up here. So we're we, we working. You know, I, I might be inside this prison, but I'm, I'm working every single day, you know. And my job is to make sure they understand that I'm going to expose them for who they really are. You understand? I made the statement that all the correctional officers here were liars. I said that once, once before, but not all. You see, and I shouldn't use that word all because my wife, she gets on me and, uh, <laughs> and bless her heart because she, she's always, you know, she's been there for me. She's, she, you know, uh, uh, and I, I really appreciate it, and I listen to what she said when come. I shouldn't ever use that word all in a case like this. It's not all, but it's, it's a majority of them. Okay. And they're here, and they got a job to do, and their job is to do anything they can. If they can uh, destroy me or whatever needs to be done, they will do it. So on that note, now, now, if you have any questions that you need to ask me, don't hesitate. Give it to me. Reverend Pinkney, how's your time? Um, uh, we got about four or five minutes. Well, listen, give out, because Mr. McKay was on last week and gave out okay. uh, the information. If you can give it out, uh, you can do uh, that. I can't give out anything don't about, worry about financial, it. but you can, you can go to bhbanko.org. That's bhbanko.org, and you can have information there because the first thing they would say that I'm running a, a, some kind of financial enterprise. And okay. That's what they accused me of last time, too, and they're good at that. And usually if they say you run, they run, you run a financial enterprise, believe me, you know, they, they, you know, they don't, like I say, they don't need no evidence to convict you. They can convict you and, and cut your phone off, you know, cut your fizzes off, whatever it is, they, they do what they do, but you just have to learn to fight back. But, uh, but they can go to bhbanko.org. And there's information there and that they need to know. And you can always talk about this when we hang up this phone. You can talk about how they can help and stuff like that. Okay. You can, but I can't, unfortunately. But it should be coming from me. But with this system that they got now, they're the only one that can, that, that, that can do things like that. They're the only one who can destroy things like that. But we, you know, the most important thing that we stay focused, we know what we're up against, we know what we got to fight against, and we got to continue this fight no matter what they say. It's well, crucial. It, mm-hmm. Reverend Pickney, I'll ask one question, and I'll get Brother Ridge and ask a question because time is limited. Okay. Reverend Pickney, how, did, how was they able to impanel a all-white jury and alternates in the city of Benton Harbor? 
that's well, uh, once, a large percentage. Once, Go ahead. It's 96% African-American in Benton Harbor. Not one person was from the city of Benton Harbor. Not one person was from the township of, of, uh, of Benton Township. Not one single person. So they, it may have been their special jury because they are known for, for corruption down there. But not on that level. Uh, I, I, I was very, very concerned when I saw the all-white jury. Uh, uh, I, I was, you know, any time, and, and I, I, I couldn't see no way in the world where they could have found me guilty. It was almost virtually, I mean, I was so confident. And I had one of the best, best, best lawyers that you can that you can have at that time. But then it looked like it made he went to sleep on me too. But it is what it is. But now I get a chance to expose a system. You see, how they say you'll never, 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 ever, ever see me on the Oprah Winfrey show. You'll never see me on her show. Here's the reason: she believes that 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 the that the system is all right. She believes that the establishment which she's part of it is okay. She believes that the criminal justice system is fair to, to blacks. And she also believes that the prison system will rehabilitate you. But Oprah Winfrey, I'm here to tell you today that the, that the system itself is corrupt from the top to the bottom. The establishment, which she is part of, is corrupt. Also, the criminal justice system is corrupt all the way through it. And the prison system do not rehabilitate you. They do not. But she want to hear stories like she want to hear people coming in and talking about how uh, how she has uh, how 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 the prison system has rehabilitated you and stuff like that. That's what she want to hear. But that's not what we're about. We're about we're about standing up, fighting, and coming back. And 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 and, and I always say that she can't handle the truth. Because if the truth comes, they'll break her and send her to prison, just like they send me. Because you don't need evidence to send a person to prison. All right, go ahead with it. You have Reverend, one minute one, remaining. Reverend, Reverend Pickney, we appreciate you. When Ellie and I first had you on the program, you got out. You've been, you were in prison before unjustly and wrote it out and came on our program. What do you have to say to anybody? Because we have a lot of folks out there talk about what they don't like. What kind of advice do you, can you give to the out, people down the outside, not locked up, what they can do for our people, what they should be doing for our people? Oh, absolutely. And you know what? My job is to fight for our people because they won't fight for themselves. A lot of them just sit back and, and got a whole new breed, breed of people right now. These, you know, the people right now, they're, they're afraid, they're intimidated. They're afraid because right now they're sending me to prison. They sent the right man to prison because I'm, I'm going to show them that we can take a stand and whatever they dish out, I can handle, you see. And then I, can, I know how to fight back. See, the biggest thing we must all learn to do, let's fight back. Fight back, fight back, fight back. That's what you have to do in order to win this system and, and let them know that you're not taking this crap from this from, from this. Thank you for using GTL. Mm. Wow. He's gone, Rich. Um, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about Reverend Pinckney, uh, and then uh, we'll move into open form. We'll be right back.
You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. What is in one million brothers and sisters who are tired of the same old rhetoric, the same old leaders, the same old ways of dealing with political and economic empowerment? If you realize that nobody's going to save black people but us, if you understand that no existing political party prioritizes the best interests of African Americans as a collective, if you believe that leadership is as leadership does, and this means that the best leaders for the black collective must come from the ranks of those who place and hold the best interests of black people foremost and uttermost, if you understand that black people must develop the mindset and the will to finance their own racial uplift organizational efforts, then get involved with one million conscious black voters and contributors. The movement is now. Go to www.iamoneofthemillion.com. That's www.iamoneofthemillion.com.
and they don't get involved and do anything but talk. Here's that man in the prison. Most people are going inside or getting locked up. They're worried about getting out, and that's it. When Elliot and I met this man, this man wasn't out of prison that long and still talking tough. Like, he, he'd been on the outside for a long time. And, it's, and it amazed Elliot and I after we had him on our, the very first time on our program. So, I, you know, it's not too much I can say. I, um, what I will say, if anyone's interested in learning more about the case that he couldn't talk about, it's on our page. It's pinned to the top. Go to the Time for the Awakening Media page on Facebook. And information is right on there. If you want information sent to you via email, send us an email, timefromawakening at gmail.com. But the quickest way to get the information is go to our Facebook page, Time for the Awakening Media, and you'll see the information that he was talking about in reference to this case. He had gave us a breakdown of what's going on in Detroit, what Whirlpool was doing. So by the time Elliot and I found out and heard that he was uh, incarcerated, it kind of didn't shock us because he was making he was making a lot of waves. And, and as he stated, you know, in this life, there's only two things you can really do. There's two options. And everyone has to make that decision of what they want to do. Either you fight or you quit. And there's no judgment being laid down by myself or Brother Elliot or anybody else is your decision, your decision how you want to live your life. Um, if you're going to go down anyway, you might as well go down fighting and trying to stick up for yourself. That's what I believe. But if you quit and lay down like a doormat, lay down a, like a dog, at least leave something for your children. You so, know, you know, Reg, when you said that uh, talking with him, you wouldn't think that he was locked down behind bars. You know, when he got out of prison that first time when we had him on the program, I think he had spent a year and a half in prison. because He was he getting quote, busy as soon as he got out. Yeah, he quoted a Bible verse to the mm-hmm. judge. <laughs> and he told us the verse, uh, mm-hmm. vengeance is mine or something like that. And anyway, the judge said mm-hmm. he threatened him and he sentenced him to prison. Now, when he, listen, under normal circumstances, a person get out of prison after spending a year and a half in jail for basically nothing. Then they most folks would have went home and just okay the fight's over for me let somebody else take this mantle, but he it didn't stop him he kept on I mean it, the man it, it's nothing I can say but just admire the man's fortitude and at his age you know he's being in solitary confinement he said on here that he's being abused in jail but his spirits are still high I, I the man is just incredible to me his spirit his fighting spirit. All right, let me give let me give you the rest of that information now. Go ahead. Um, if anyone uh, is unable to go directly to our um, Facebook page, Time for the Waking Media, you could put in your uh, web browser B is a boy H Harry Banco dot org. I spell it out B Barry H Harry B Barry A Apple and Nancy C Charlie. Oscar.org, bhbanco.org. Just find some information in reference to the Black Autonomy Network community organization that's working for economic and social justice in the Benton Harbor, Michigan uh, area, exposing state and local, and hear this clearly, NAACP corruption. And we also had NAACP corruption here in the city of Philadelphia, 
And the person that's, that was involved in that is no longer here to defend himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, we need to do, we need, our people need to start doing research on these organizations that have been infiltrated by outsiders, Jewish and Europeans. And these organizations also get money from Jewish and European organizations. So they cannot save us so much in order to keep getting that funding coming. It's something for us to think about. I'm not saying that the NAACP locally and nationally doesn't do good work or, or has done things for people. I'm just saying something just to consider when we're when we're talking and having discussions with friends, family, and also when we're trying to uh, give the, the the past history and also the current history of the NAACP uh, uh, organization. But I think it's very important. If anybody on that same page, you can go sign the petition. And also on that page, if you want to write to Reverend Pickney, P-I-N-K-N-E-Y, he's at Marquette Branch Prison. Uh, N is a Nancy hyphen E hyphen nine three pound or the number sign two nine four six seven one. 1960 U.S. Highway 41 South, Marquette, Michigan, 49855. There's a petition. If you want to write to him, let me give that out again. It's Marquette Branch Prison, Reverend Edward Pinkney, P-I-N-K-N-E-Y, N, Nancy, hyphen E, hyphen 93, number sign 294671. Address 1960 U.S. Highway 4141 South Marquette, Michigan. Zip code is 49855. Anybody listening to our program tonight, please go on bhbanco.org, sign the petition. If you want to find some more information about this, please spread the word on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I would tell you also to contact some of these other black um, radio hosts that you might know. Tell them to see if they can get with uh, Brother McKay that was on a program last week or Brother Elliot. Contact Brother Elliot or, uh, or myself, timefromthewakening at gmail.com to try to get him to call in some of these programs, WOL. We have a, you know, a host of programs out there um, to get them on. To have his voice heard so this word could be spread out. I don't think there's enough people that know about this case. And also to remember, we have a whole slew of political prisoners that fought for the freedom, fought against the oppression and tyranny that was going on in this country against our people. And they're still locked in these dungeons without any key, without getting adequate medical care, without getting adequate food, adequate sunlight, and we need to talk about it. Brother Scotty Reed, um, I don't know if he's still doing the program, but I know he was doing the political prisoners radio program. If you want to go on the Black Talk Network, you can look at archives and become a little more uh, aware of the situations that go on in prison. Not every person that is locked in prison deserves to be in prison. Not everyone that's in prison, hear me again, that's locked down behind these walls deserve to be in prison. 
there was just a white boy that just did something. I think he might have raped somebody. Let me get this case. I'll have to find the case. Um, the judge said he doesn't want him to be locked up because I don't think he was built. He's not built for the prison life. Now, we know we have black children, <laughs> eight, nine years, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, 13, 14, 15. They're not going to juvie hall. They're putting some of these young children directly in adult facilities. Mm -hmm. We know this. We know that when the nonsense was going on, I'm, I'm making an announcement about um, one of our local groups that's having a, a meeting. When the stuff was going on with Sandusky up in Penn State and all this stuff, all the things that happened with our children that they were sent away to this juvenile hall and there was a judge that was getting money for sending our children and having them locked away in these facilities that ain't nothing wrong with these children. These children might have threw an eraser, threw in a pencil at a teacher, might have had an outburst, but they didn't deserve to be locked down. And now this white judge says that this white boy that committed a crime, he ain't built to go. So he gives them house arrest, probation. These are things that we need to talk about and have discussions about. Wow, well, you know, let me uh, let me read this real quick. Go ahead. Be done, Elliot, because mm -hmm. um, I think it ties in. African American Freedom Reconstruction League be having a, a meeting June twenty fifth, twenty sixteen. That will be Saturday, June twenty fifth, twenty sixteen. Will be Dr. Cleora Leviter, PhD. She's a child welfare expert and consultant. That we'll be talking about finding services supporting community outreach programs, the POISE Foundation, uh, connecting the two. And there will be an open discussion of just what I spoke about, how a white football coach sexually abused white boys and then got more children of color caught up in the system. Dr. Leviter has worked for 38 years in the Family Services Division and was a regional director in the Department of Human Services. In addition, she has been known she has been known in the community as a promoter and activist for sporting, cultural, and educational programs servicing African-American youth and families. Please encourage friends and family to participate in this program. You will learn important information that may serve to be advantageous to yourselves and others. The date of this event is Saturday, June 25th, 2016. Time is 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Location is Joseph Coleman Library, 68 West Shelton Avenue between Germantown Avenue and Green Street, Philadelphia, PA, 19144. Admission is free to the public. For more information, please call 215-474-3577. The only reason why I'm trying to tie in the juvenile and adult, we see what's going on with our children. You have this group, this local group, chaired by Robert Gray. You have a lot of beautiful sisters, his wife, and a lot of sisters around him, Sister Omalar, that help support Brother Rob in doing and having people come in and talk at the local libraries and doing events for our children, for their parents, and for the young people. And we need to start doing these things, not only in Philadelphia, we need to start doing these things in different cities and states throughout America. You don't have to be the biggest organization. Just get a group of people, start finding people that have 
resources and information try to get people to come out because one of the biggest things with our people, a lot of our people don't know the resources and services that are right around the corner that's available to them. Mm-hmm. So I give our applaud, Brother Rob and the African American Freedom Reconstruction League and what they do every month. And this is only what they do once a month. They do a, a myriad of other things and have done a lot of things on the past. Used to do bus trips over to Baltimore, to Black uh, Wax Museum taking busloads of children down there and adults to learn about the history and learn about different things other than what they're learning in the school curriculum in these schools in the city of Philadelphia. They don't want to teach black history other than we've been slaves. We came out here and that's all we've done. Jackie Robinson swung a bat. He broke the color barrier. And uh, Elliot, I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to go off to another tangent. No, well, because I wanted to, if you, it seemed like you want to talk about something I want to make mention of, and we'll do that, because okay. I want okay. to talk about that and open it up to the listening audience to get their okay. opinions. But before we talk about that, I want to mention something again about uh, Reverend Pinkney and his, his fighting. Um, this month, and uh, and I guess it'll go all the way up until June, you'll hear commencements, addresses, especially at African-American colleges, HBCUs, with some, uh, some of the... The, the folks that you expect, the Condoleezza Rice's, the Barack Obama's. I think Michelle spoke at uh, at school uh, maybe this past weekend or this week, uh, John Lewis. Uh, you know, he told the young people about uh, continue to fight. You know, some of these people, Now, I mean, John Lewis, he was a fighter when he got beat within an inch of his life on that bridge in Selma. But some of these people don't know what it is to fight the power or fight against white supremacy. And if some of the men did remember or used to do it, they don't do it anymore. They're more collaborators than fighters. You know, to hear John Lewis talk about, tell young people about fighting, he hasn't fought anything in maybe 30 years since he's been sitting up in those to, as a congressman. His fighting days left him maybe when he got hit on the head on that Pettus Bridge. Barack Obama has never been a fighter. Neither has Condoleezza Rice. You know, some of these people, his wife, you know, she made, in fact, they showed they, the clip that she had of her statement saying she wakes up every morning in a house that was built by slaves was maybe the best statement of any of those ones that I've heard clips of speaking at colleges. You know, these people don't know what it is to be fighters. Some of our HBCUs need to invite grassroots people there to talk to these young people. Or real fighters, people that are out here fighting. It's not hard to find a Reverend Pinckney if he's not locked up unfairly behind bars. It's other people out here that are fighters that they can bring and talk to our young people. I think Barack Obama went to Howard and told people, don't let nobody define you what it is to be black. Now, what the heck does that mean? So uh, I'll pick on an easy target. Uh, 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 What's his name? The, The Supreme Court Justice, Clarence Thomas. He's a definition of somebody black. He's black in complexion. That's all. He don't care nothing about the plight of his people or to fight anything. He's a collaborator. He's not a fighter. Some of our organizations, the, the Urban League, I wouldn't consider that a grassroots organization at all. But when they put out that report on, on blacks in America or what is that, uh, the state of black America, they said in their 2012 report 
that black people are under attack in almost every strata of life in this country. If somebody's under attack, then you're at war. Then you need people coming up with war strategies, real fighters, not collaborators. Now, what war do you win with people collaborating with the enemy? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. We, we can't do this. You, you got these people talking to our young people, giving them mixed messages. They look at these people, they don't see no fighting. I mean, it's a joke. And Derek, Derek Muhammad, if anyone has a chance, they could come on our page. I believe I posted this on Time for the Weekend, Time for the Weekend Media uh, Facebook page about defining coons. He gives that excellent point-by-point breakdown on different types of coons, the behavior traits, and and I think it's something that we need to uh, look at. I'm not talking about calling names and stuff like that. You know, when you look at Clarence Thomas and people say that he's a coon or he's a hater of self, and we're talking about people that have self-hatred, I know that he um, has a problem with some of the black men in his family if you even read about some things he's written, stated that he pulled himself up by his own bootstraps, which is a is a is an out and out lie. Um, he didn't say anything on that high court for all these years, and the racist cracker <laughs> disappears. Is no longer on the scene. Now he's coming back and making these statements, and you look at it. You know, the most vindictive person that has self-hate is the person that, like, as I said, is, has self-hate, and they want to come back and punish those that talked about them. And if you and if you really look closely at a lot of things that Clarence Thomas is coming out and saying, part of it is self-hate, but part of it is he's trying to punish and give retribution back to a lot of things that were said to him by people in the black community. Just something for us to, to, to think about. Think about this man ain't, he might be a coon, we could call him out his name and all that, but he ain't no dummy. <laughs> he ain't no dummy either. So he, trust me, oh, y'all want to y'all want to talk about me? I'm going to show y'all what I'm about. And he's just doing just that. That's that's just like how, not only self-hatred, but he going to make you know that he, the boss, <laughs> a good overseer. Let's go to 704 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Brother Scotty from North Carolina. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm deep behind these enemy lines, surviving <laughs> best I can. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, it, it was good to hear uh, Reverend Pinkney sound so strong and full of fire. Mm-hmm. You know, he ain't letting them break him or nothing. It was good to hear from him. But you know how you end up uh, it, where he's at. Without any evidence, go ahead. Yeah, slavery, man. <laughs> slavery ain't never been abolished. Oh, okay, man. okay. Oh, I would. Okay, that all 13th, right. That thirteenth amendment. That 13th yeah, amendment. they. Yeah, and, and then you know I was listening to him. I mean, even all the alternates was white. Yeah. Come on, God. And you know the Supreme Court just uh, um, reversed this dude's conviction. Because they had all white jury and the prosecutors had wrote 
um, you know, when they doing the pretrial motions, when they picking a jury and they get to strike, you know, so many jurors, the prosecution and the defense and the prosecution, you know, against everybody, all the potential jurors names, the black ones, they put B, the letter P or the letter N. What do you think that stands for? So the Supreme Court uh, reversed that man's conviction. And then there's Judge Stevens in Kentucky who they trying to get him off the bench because he dismissed an all-white jury. And he's a black judge. So that's how we – go ahead, Reggie. No, no, I was going to say I heard heard about that case too. The thing is, you know – it's, it's been very hard from the cases I've been seeing. I've been seeing a lot of stuff you've been posting, uh, Scotty, also, to get a judge dismissed from the bench for misconduct because, you know, it's, a all, it's, it's the all-boy, you know, good, good old boys network within that, and it's, and it's very hard. And I think the only way that that's going to be able to be done is through some sort of legislation. It has to be done, but we have to, if we're going to be serious about talking about it, it ain't going to be done. It's not going to be done by us just talking about it on radio. It's got to be done through some organizing the black folks, having some people that are in certain positions that understand where the people, what the people want, and also through some sort of legislation. It has to be changed. Well, yeah, yeah. also take voting. When we're talking about judges, Mm-hmm. These judges, most of these judges are elected judges. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them are appointed, mm-hmm. you know, when when you get up to the Supreme Court level and whatnot. And I'm talking about the state. I ain't talking about federal because in, in Judge Stevens' case, we're talking about the state of mm-hmm. Kentucky. The federal government ain't got nothing to do with it. So that take, that take people organizing in Kentucky, man, and rallying behind that man. And I'm not really seeing that. I'm not seeing anybody take up his case, really. You know, it's getting reported on, but I don't see the NAACP Legal Defense Fund coming to his aid. I don't see the ACLU coming to his aid. I I don't see any. I don't see the Urban League, you know, sounding an alarm and saying, hey, look what they're trying to do to this black judge because he was trying to practice justice from the bench. Hey, hey Scotty, and when, and when you talk about, I'm glad you mentioned that part with the with the voting because it goes a little deeper than that too. Because if you look at a lot of major cases that we have uh, our black political prisoners that have been locked up, they're on yeah. the, it's been on the back of false testimony a lot of times, right. testimony that wasn't admitted, and it was back through a DA, right? And most of the times, mm-hmm. those DAs are now mayors or been a mayor or in high positions. Or governors like Ed Rendell in Pennsylvania. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> fast, fast, fast Eddie. Fast Eddie, yeah. Hey, listen, st- stay with us, Scotty. Uh, uh, let me take this. 267 Erico, what's your name? Where you calling from? Brother Timothy, South Philly. How are you, sir? Good, sir. I, I would like to say how sad I am and like to give my condolences to the Ali family. You folks, you and, and, and Reggie, were talking about people who should be fighting. I have to say that Muhammad Ali was an example of what a fighter was. Unfortunately, he came across some Parkinson's disease, but his, his progress against Vietnam, his 
his religion reflected in the ring on the, in the ring and also on the outside of the ring. His 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 fight of understanding the racism of this country, he was an example all over the world about people who are treated unjustly, they have the same complexion as you and me. And that's a fighter. He never lost his focus on fighting the system in his own way. And he's been a model for people all over the world. But here's another, another subject, uh, Brother Elliot and Reggie, I'd like to talk about. And that is the situation with the HBCUs in the country, in America. Right now, we're facing something that is tearing our communities down, educationally, socially, and politically. But the focus of the HBCUs and us being aware of our education and, and the governors who are supposed to provide the fundings for public schools and colleges and universities are not doing their jobs as legislators. But something is going on in the Carolinas, especially in North Carolina, where these people are on it. They have a legislator that wants to trick them in taking a certain amount of money and lowering the tuition of the HBCU in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I have some thoughts about that. I'm in North Carolina, by the way. Okay, okay. I would like to hear it, but here's the thing. The thing is that if they're doing it in North Carolina, they're coming up north. We have a university called Cheney University that's in the same situation as what's going on in North Carolina. And and we have to understand that as alumni, HBCU alumni, Lincoln University, the first accredited university in the country, we have to put our resources together. It's one thing that if we're state-funded and private-funded, but how much does the alumni give back? In order yeah, that's to a good question. Now, here, here's the other thing. Give an example of what alumni do. Take us as a race, right? Okay, I would say Lincoln University has a $35 million endowment. Okay? Howard, Howard University, $100,000 endowment. But look what it at and the progressive people that are in D.C. But if you look at a place like Harvard and Yale and Penn, do you know that Harvard University's endowment is $38 billion? Oh, Yale is $25 billion, right? University of Penn is $10 billion. But you have a person named Dr. Dre. See, here's our race again. If we're going to fight against the enemy, we got to know who the enemy is because sometimes the enemy looks like us. Dr. Dre gives a PDW, a predominantly white institution, okay, millions of dollars. He didn't do it for his own. In order for us to get out of these situations, man, we have to support our own. That's why we're in a bond that we're in. It's enough for you have to fight the racism. But people that look like you, you have to fight them too. And we got to build a united front. Because if we lose our public schools around the country, we start losing our HBCUs around the country. We're losing our communities in the countries when it comes to housing. What our politicians are doing that look like us, and what direction are we going to take before we take to fight this system economically, politically, and socially? I would like to have your answer on that, and I'll listen and talk back also. 
Well, listen, Tim, all you said I agree with. Um, I, I wanted to get, and we'll probably do it within the next couple of weeks. I'll kind of coordinate things because I don't know whether there's any other guests on the, uh, the docket. I have to check with Brother Ridge. But I'm trying right. to get Jared um, Carter, who, right. who uh, puts out the HBCU Digest on here, to speak about uh, that House bill. I think it's 853 in North Carolina. Yep. To uh, They're trying you know, to find I, a I new way. That's close enough. 873. That's 873, enough. yeah. Trying to find right. a different way to try to bankrupt these black universities. Uh, right. Here before, other states just wouldn't give them money. But North Carolina, that, that legislator, I for, forgot the white guy's name that proposed it. He got a little slick way that he's trying to put it out there to uh, to accomplish the same goal. But I want to get uh, Mr. Card on here to talk about that, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, because it, it, it is a dilemma that our people face. And we got to fight on all fronts, seem like. Every time you look, there's something going on. Hell yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, go ahead Scotty. Elliot, um, I'm here in North Carolina. And I'm going to admit right now I haven't done a whole lot of research into that bill, but I have. I am aware of it. Mm-hmm. I have read news reports about it, and I've seen news reports about it on television. Now, so admitting that I have limited in- information, just off the face of what has been presented to the public here in North Carolina, is that they're trying to lower the tuition to public colleges and universities, which a lot of these HBCUs are here in North Carolina. They're public colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Now, my daughter got accepted to go to North Carolina AT&T. I A&T. had to pay. I had to, I had to write a check for $200 just to go up there to get a campus tour, $200, non-refundable, right? So then it came time to sign the paperwork to go into debt, and I wasn't going to do it. I was not going to do it. When I'm sitting here looking at my sister, I'm 50, she's 47, and she's still paying student loans off and what have you. And I told my daughter, no, you do like I did. You go the community college route, and then if you still want to go to the HBCU, because we also looked at Johnson C. Smith right there in Charlotte. Very expensive. I actually had a, a, a first cousin. She didn't went back to Detroit now, but she was teaching there. Very, very expensive. And like I heard somebody say, hell, half our, most of our people can't even get into these HBCUs because they can't afford it. So I'm saying that there is an issue with tuition being high, not just with HBCUs, but all across the board. Now, this is what made me angry. And it's not because I support support uh, Bernie Sanders as a politician. I don't support politicians. I support planks on platforms. That's what I support. And I support it. Uh, I support free college uh, tuition at these public colleges and universities, and he said, "Well, how are you going to pay for it?" He said, "With a tax on Wall Street." And all, and I listen, black folks on the radio clown that plan, and all oh, people just want free stuff and all this and that. We just want, they just want a handout and all this and that. And then I started to thinking, because uh, these were so-called educated people already got their degrees and whatnot. I started to thinking. And, and 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 again, I'm not I'm not painting everybody with a broad brush, brush, but this is what came into my mind. 
I believe that there are a certain class of black folks that don't want to see more of us educated and, and getting degrees and getting into colleges because, you know, then they'll lose, you know, they'll feel like they're losing their privileged status or they feel like their degree isn't worth as much anymore because they pay you know, tens of thousands of dollars for their degree, and then somebody like their children got it for free. So I will look more into that, that North Carolina bill, and and I don't doubt what you're saying about they trying to use this to defund, you know, these colleges. But I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, I personally went through it with my daughter. And, it, man, most people can't afford for it unless they're willing to go in debt, like my sister was willing to go in debt. Sir, well, you are so right. I have a friend of mine. He is a Morehouse graduate. He got his master's at Howard University in film, and he teaches there. He tells me, Tim, he said at one time he went to an HBCU because first they didn't want you in a PWR, which is a predominantly white institution. He said mm -hmm. we would go to these places and go to law school, come out of Meharry, or we would go uh, come out of Meharry as a medical medical school, or we would go to Howard University, Florida and law school. He said, uh, uh, but, but, but for some specific reason, we lost our focus. He says, why is the HBCU so out of range of affordability? He right, said, and you, you brought up a good point. I, I just wanted to acknowledge your point. I forgot to acknowledge it. But like you said, where are the alumni? Where are they giving back? And then, like you mentioned, Dr. Dre, and then the black African-American artist, man, from the uh, 60s and the 70s, who gave his entire collection and his will to the University of Alabama. Exactly. But then you have a person who they try to incarcerate, Bill Cosby, who saved Fifth Dental School. And he gives Morehouse money and Spellman and Lincoln. But now they're, they're on a trail of trying to destroy him with these allegations. I don't know it all, whether it was true or not, but these women claim this stuff happened so many years ago and how they're coming after me now. But the people who give uh, need, to, need to continue to give and the people who don't need to stop. Because listen, man, if you don't look out for yourself, everybody's going to look out for you. And if, listen, you got to learn as a black person on the planet, Everybody wants what we have, and we don't realize how valuable it is, and we sometimes give it up. Tim, it'll be yeah. interesting discussion when we uh, uh, kind of land Mr. Carter on the program to talk about this because uh, yeah. it, it's a – from what I know about it, it's it's really – see, you're closer to this situation because you're involved in your alumni association at the school you went to. That's you, exactly right. You know that. But let me see this. You know yeah. that the state schools, and I'll use Pennsylvania, for example, the That's state right. schools are not funded equally. No, they're not. Uh, Cheney hardly gets any money from the state, while other white institutions get a lot of money, millions of dollars. Exactly. So that, that in turn, their facilities, their professors, their equipment is better. So a lot of these states don't want to give money to historically black colleges. So, so, so wait a minute. So, what, wait a minute. So, what, what this guy is doing and proposing in North Carolina is okay. We'll lower the tuition, but we don't want to give you any more money. So, we'll lower the tuition to five hundred dollars. That means a huge influx of students will try to go to those schools. 
But how are you going to go there when they don't have enough money to run themselves now with the student body they have? That'll exactly. that'll run schools totally out of business. <laughs> Exactly. Elliot, let me ask you. Let me ask y'all this. But I don't want listen. Why does tuition keep going up so high, man? Because they're not being funded equally, Scotty. They're not. No, no. I'm talking about across the board. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. I'm saying across the board. Well, this is a capitalist society, and everything is about money with Europeans, and it spills over into every strata of society. But you know, in other words, we modeling our stuff after them. Well, that's the problem. That's a problem in itself. It, now, Elliot, you know, you said something very important, right? Say, for instance, Lincoln University is crossing the state of Pennsylvania. And so is Cheney, okay? But so is Millersville. And so is IUP. Exactly. And so is University of Pitt. But they're not suffering that's, like a Cheney. That's what I'm talking about. And they're saying, they're, listen, See? IUP and, and Millersville is about the same comparable size as Cheney. Exactly. And, and let me tell you something. I wanna, I'm going to tell you the importance of what a governor can do. Okay, remember, Corbett was in there, and he shrunk the education part of of what he was supposed to do as far as learning was concerned. He was more concerned about everything but education, right? So he caused Cheney to go firm, further down in the hole. He dragged Lincoln down, too. But one thing, because we get private money, and don't forget, we still got money from the bonds, which we got railroaded out of. Remember, we got railroaded out of the bonds. We still have money left. For that we could be in the same predicament as Cheney, but here's the thing: like you are saying, the unequal amount of money that we were supposed to get because Corbett hurt us bad, we're now uh, we are now receiving what we're supposed to have. See, he cut us down; he really messed up Cheney. So now the budget is, is becoming better because Wolf is there. See, we don't need this because this person is doing this is good. The next four years, this person did it because it's bad. This person did it because it's good. you got to come up with a formula from the alumni. you got to get these people in check, okay, when it comes to the politicians. And you want to say to yourself, how does Triple survive? Triple's also in Pennsylvania. And they're the biggest gentrifiers in the black neighborhood. How are they able to survive? What's their formula? Hey, hey one more thing I want to uh, let y'all know Tim, about North Carolina because I voted on it um, um, when we went to vote uh, this last time. They had a, a, a bond package on there for education and for the public waterworks. It was like a $2.5 billion bond that they put on there, and it passed. And this is for, and it specifically said it's for you know like the water infrastructure and for and for the uh, colleges and stuff. So I wonder if them HBCUs is 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 fighting for their share of that money that that just been made available. Well, that's what I I'm like saying. They, 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 they're right. not getting their share. They're not getting and these black elected officials. No, this just passed. This just oh, passed. Oh, of course. Okay, but I'm just saying, in all of these states, they're not getting their fair shares of money. And you got black elected officials in all of these states, state senators and and and, and uh, 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 right. other officials that uh, you know. That's what I'm talking about about collaborators more than fighters. But uh, right. Tim, thank you for your call, man, and thanks for bringing that up. Yes, sir. Have a good one, brother, and uh, may God bless you. Keep going. Peace. Peace. Uh, Scotty and and, and Ridge, I I think this Ridge was going to bring this up, but I, I'm gonna bring it up now. We got Scotty on. 
Tim mentioned, uh, the caller Tim mentioned in his call about Dr. Dre giving millions of dollars to, I think it was USC or one of those schools out there. It wasn't UCLA. Yeah, it, it was, it was uh, U, U, yeah, University of Southern California, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, after he got that billion dollars or whatever from this uh, Beats thing that he had. So yeah. he, he gave a bunch of money to uh, to uh, USC. You know, Reg was talking earlier about the organization here in Philadelphia that puts on monthly seminars to bring information to our people. This past week, uh, they remade Roots and put it on several channels, the History Channel and others. And you had some black folks that voiced their opinion about Roots. Me personally, and I'd like to get callers involved, and I want Reg and you, you Scotty's opinion. Me personally, I think that the more stories can be told about our people's experience here, and especially by black people, is necessary. It needs to be drilled into their heads till they don't understand it, till they don't understand anything else. I don't think a lot of our people realize the enemies of our people that brought our people here and abused our elders, abused our women, abused our children are still here. They haven't gone anywhere. I don't think that they realize. They look at, oh, I don't want to see that slavery stuff anymore. That was then. This is now. Like we live in a different time or a different planet. We don't realize. Well, you know, Snoop Dogg did say they still abusing us today. He did say that in in his little one minute, you know, speech he gave on Roots. He said they all they want us to do is is keep watching this stuff where they abusing us and and this and it still go on today. That he did acknowledge that it's going on today. Well, you know, I, I think that because our young people really need to see these things, they need to see the images. They need to understand what we have to do with the fight continues. People like Reverend Pinckney and them are fighting, not like some of them other examples that we talked about earlier, the John Lewis's, the Barack Obama's. The Congress, I was, right? You had me they, laughing about John. Boy. Well, they're not, yeah, they're not fighters, man. I, you know, I don't want to talk about the man. The man got beat almost within an inch of his life on that pedestal. Yeah, bridge. but he joined the enemy. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's my whole point. These people are not fighters. These people need to understand that our ancestors that was abused by these Europeans were fighters. All of them didn't just kowtow and say, well, I'm a just, yes, master, this, that, and the other. Some people did that right. because they had to. But I think our people really need to understand what they're dealing with. Don't refuse to see these images. See them see as much times as you can. Look at these other people that be perpetrating the fraud, these Jews. They make sure when they put their so-called stories on that everybody sees it every year. Every year around Easter time, they show this Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments don't have anything to do with Easter, but they show but it. you said something real key there, though. You said they put their stories on. Who's putting our stories on? Well, you know, that's what I'm saying. We really need to be involved with putting our stories on. And as much as we can do it, we need to do it. And I, I, I agree. Um, I'll go ahead and let Reggie give his thoughts on it. No, go, go ahead, Scotty, because... Uh... Well, I, I, I'm this, doing. I'm multitasking right now. So go ahead. Okay, okay, got you, brother Reg. Okay, this is the way I, I, I honestly feel about it, and I talked about it on on my program, Black Talk Radio News. Mm-hmm. Snoop's not wrong for feeling the way that he feels. A whole lot of people feel the way he feels. Uh, Elliot, you are not wrong for feeling the way that you feel. 
your feelings are just as valid. And so that's all I'm saying. Snoop spoke his truth. All right. And, and he was speaking to people who might agree with him. And he called on them to boycott Roots. And, you know, we were talking earlier about about this earlier, and Snoot even mentioned 12, 12 years of slave. And me and you discussed, well, why would they put on 12 years of slave, you know what I'm saying, to make themselves look good and whatnot, mm-hmm. and come to say this this, this uh, a free black man from slavery and what have you. So I, I'm just saying, man, I feel where he's coming from. I personally do not watch these movies, I will watch the one about Nat Turner. I think what Snoop is saying, we're tired of seeing the same old story. The same old story where we're getting abused and whatnot, and we only get out of it because some white person, you know, felt guilty or whatever, and, and they saved us. And and so, you know, I want to see the Nat Turner stories. I want to see the uh, Sojournal Truth stories. I want to see, you know, I mean, there are so many stories to be told, man. I wouldn't, if, if not for new abolitionist radio, I wouldn't even know many of the abolitionists, black abolitionists that I have come to know who have been lost to the annals of history. Hey, Scotty. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me, I want to ask you a question. I'm, I'm jumping. I just got finished doing, I was uh, trying to post on our page. Um, okay. Now, I, I don't really have any interest in seeing the roots. I might see it in the future. I didn't, the 12, uh, 12 Years a Slave, still haven't seen it because before the movie came out, I read the book. Mm-hmm. And everybody that told me about the movie, Elliot talked to me about it, and I told him, well, hey, they left out a whole lot of stuff that was in the book. Okay. And I know mm-hmm. that you know, when they yeah. put these movies on, they usually uh-huh. have the white character as almost like the angel or the savior of the black yeah, cast the hero. In the hero. Right. And I told Elliot, when I read the book, the most compelling part for me was the wife keeping the children together and the family together and using mm. any means, whether she had to talk to some white abolitionists or some white folks, some black folks, or trying to bring her and her family. Man, they left her totally out, didn't they? Yes. That's what I told Elliot. I didn't see the movie yet, but that was, when I was reading the book, that was, I like, man, like, it taught me that no matter what condition I'm in, that listen, this brother in this thing, he wanted to, he did everything he could do to get back to his family, and she was doing everything that she could keep the family intact to go get get back and be reunited with her husband. That's that's what I got out the book. That's wow. What I got the book. So my next thing I was going to ask you now, the reason why I have my viewpoints about these things, I'm not going to say I'm not going to watch it in the future. I might watch it in the future, but I haven't watched it yet, right? And especially okay. I watched the original Roots when I was young. And right. before I had any knowledge of self and the things I'm doing, I'm going to tell you, I watched Shaka Zulu, right? Shaka Zulu was more compelling to me as a young person. Oh, me too. And I had me to beg my parents, can I stay up late to watch it? Because that's how riveted I was by watching Shaka Zulu compared to watching Roots. That was my experience as a, as a youngster. Now, as an adult, and I told Elliot, if I was going to have any young person watch any slave narrative or any slave movie, I would have them sit down, whether they could, whether they cry, whether they get upset. I want them to watch Goodbye Uncle Tom, period. 
Goodbye, Uncle Tom. Oh, my goodness. Uncle Tom. Because I watched as an adult, and it shook me up. Far greater than Roots. I couldn't even watch it all, man. I watched that whole thing. And it messed. The first, I thought, like, what the hell is um, am I watching? And then I got myself together and watched the whole thing. So when you look at that, the, it just shows the experiences that we had on a whole other level. But that's the real level. And the next thing, I like to tie in at the end of the movie with the brother mm-hmm. that's reading the autobiography of Nat Turner and what mm-hmm. he did to the family. So what I heard when I did some research, I heard that they didn't have it in the movie theater. I think it was. Um, I believe it was some Frenchmen that uh, did that, and it's under this. Uh, uh, it's under this set of movies called Mondo. So some of the stuff is like some far-fetched, uh, crazy stuff, but mm-hmm. they're the ones that came up with this movie, and I thought it was very interesting when I watched that because I had a couple of young people. I had a sister watch it that was in her early twenties. I had a young brother, family member, cousin. He couldn't watch it, and when the sister watched it. She wanted to go show her family, but she couldn't believe like like anything that was in this movie could have happened to black people. I'm saying, what do you think people coming from a distant land come over here? You thought they was just chilling when they was on the haul of these ships? You know, when they were uh, getting beat? What, what, what do you think was happening? Lice? People jumping overboard? So my thing is, I want them to put something that shows we should do it. Now, we shouldn't ask any white folks to do it. But we should do something like that when it comes to our children so they can understand this thing wasn't sweet, it wasn't nice, and it wasn't easy. And I'm just going to transition real quick, Scotty. And an issue that I have, Brother Timothy brought up Muhammad Ali, right? Mm-hmm. One of my, I did several book, report, book reports when I was young. He's the first book report I did on someone's life when I, as a young person. I might have been in maybe fourth or fifth grade. And I read, you know, I read the story about his life, you know, the Olympic trials, how he got his bike stolen, all this stuff as a young person. That had a, a great impact on me, right? As I got older, I started uh, reading stuff and understanding about his activism, you know? And the thing that I've been listening to the last couple of days, we need to stop allowing white folks and also some black folks try to rewrite the narrative of a, 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 of our people. Well, okay? Reg, listen, I don't want to cut you because I want you to keep on that train of thought. It happens all the time. Guess who's doing a eulogy? I heard the announcement of who's going to do the Bill eulogy. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton and Billy Crystal. What the hell? Are you oh kidding me? Oh, my God, man. Where are some of the family? people that knew this man from almost from his, his childhood to now? You can't do exactly. that. What the hell, Bill Clinton? What does he have to offer? All he's going to do is politicize it for his fat-ass, ugly wife. Excuse me. I didn't mean to go off. You got to be all that, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. This, this type of stuff. With Bill Clinton and Bill Chris, Billy Crystal, I think they had Brian Gumbel going to get up there. I guess he's going to be the ha- half-black face that's going to talk about it. Brian Gumbel's going to talk because his, his son his son got uh, uh, pulled over by some police, and he knows what is to deal with police uh, police harassment now, so that's why he's going to be on there. He's talking different now. Well, ho- hold your hold your point, Bridge. Let me get this call. Six four six area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Yeah, this is this is Jay from New York. In, in hey, regards Jay. to your in, in, in regards to your comments regarding um, Snoop, the thing really boils down to, and he didn't articulate is 
we as a people are tired of seeing these slave movies when they don't honestly show the true depiction of the brutality that this cracker did to us. And they changed the narrative to make it seem as though, oh, it wasn't that bad and that there was good old white folks out there. No, no, wait a minute, Jay. Let me, I don't want to cut you. Fist. Jay, continue your point, but wait a minute. I want to ask you something. Uh, no. Did you see this new Roots, at least the first saw, episode or I two? I saw parts of it. Did you see the first episode? Well, they have four parts. Did you see the first two parts? I think the no, other two parts was a little weak. I, I saw, I saw the last, I saw the last part of the last two two. I haven't got a chance to view the um the, the first two. Well, listen, to, to be honest, the, the first two they could take it or leave it. Those the last two. I'm sorry, the first two parts. The first, look at those first two parts. Well, let because me, let I think that our young you, people really need to see the brutality of of the the, the uh the first that first segment when he was first on two parts wasn't they showing Africans selling other Africans? Well, well, that was that was part of the yeah. But see, you that's that why you to put, exactly. Put but let that's me, let me go ahead, go ahead, Jay. I don't want to cut you. Go ahead. No, no, no. Let me just say this one thing. The one thing that they showed in part three that was quite interesting was the white woman being hung for helping the North. That wasn't in the first room. Yeah, I know. That I, yeah. Wasn't, yeah. wasn't in the first one. Yeah, I so know. you know there's a reason, there's a reason behind that. Oh, but I know the it. The thing is, also, <laughs> you, let me just drop this, also you were saying about the HBCUs and the funding. Roland Martin said earlier this week that there was a lawyer out there who has the ability to sue government um, participalities to get the money for the HBCUs. But the thing is, the colleges don't want to sue. They don't want to do what is necessary to get that money. So you can't always blame... You That's know what, what I, I was mean. saying, brother, earlier about okay. these HBCUs in North yeah, Carolina. Are they going to fight for that $2.5 billion that the voters just approved for colleges? Well, Lance, well the, guy, the lawyer from what Rowling said is supposed to be on his show because Ali died. I, I guess they may not get to it till Tuesday or Wednesday, but there's a lawyer that he said was going to be on the show that he even put him on contact, in contact with, on the phone to tell him, well, this is the person you need to get together with to sue to deal with this. But you know, the bottom line is the HBCUs, they don't want to fight. And you can't make these Negroes fight because the one thing is they don't want to fit white folks. See, black folks are at the point now to where we don't want to fight. We don't want to offend white folks. But let me let me reframe that. Negroes in key positions don't want to fight because they feel they'll lose their position. So there's, there's just a lot of things in regards to our, our struggle. Hey, that hey, we're just not stepping up. Stepping up. Let, let me let me ask you a question. You just said something. And I, the last step you made, I, I found was quite interesting. I'm just going to give you give you a little uh, background or something. I just want your thoughts on what I'm going to put out when you talk about key key Negroes and positions. What I find as an impediment 
to our group, when you talk about these key Negroes that are positions, right, is that monetary business, always top-heavy money on the top, you know, where they don't need to be making all that money because they're not, they're not giving out or they're not graduating enough people to even be deserving or they're not even running the school administration in the right manner to be I'm talking about HBCU colleges. Same you're thing. About a, you, you're talking about administrators, though. Now they're the being paid. Top administrators are getting all this money, and they have failing colleges, failing operating budgets. Don't know how to uh, uh, operate a budget line item. I have a, uh, a personal friend of mine. Elliot knows him. He went and put in uh, techno- uh, technology systems over Wilberforce. All right, Wilberforce is one of the. I think it's one of the first uh, uh, black HBCUs in, in this country. He told me about the same shenanigans that you'll see on the board of a black charter school that's in any city across the United States of America. I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not saying all, but a lot of them. We get in these Could positions. I- we get in these positions just like our politicians get in positions, and when they're not operating for the benefit of either the people or the children. They don't care if the school is not operating right or not. What they want is the crumbs from the white people so they get paid, enjoy their lifestyle, do what they have to do for their family at the expense of what the mission or what the position is supposed to be doing. I want your feedback. Can I tell you who, can I tell you who those Negroes are? <laughs> yeah, them, Negroes, them, them, them Negroes are this fraternity and the sorority Negroes. That's who they are. They're the alpha and all that other nonsense. That's that's who the Negroes are. I guarantee you, every one of the Negroes in a position of some sort of authority within an HBCU is one of those Negroes. They down with one of those those frats. I guarantee it. I'm willing to bet money. Ninety, I would say ninety percent of them are part of of, of that shit twisted anti-African fraternity. And brother, and, and, the I, reason, and the reason why I'm mentioning it, because we're just talking about the HBCUs, but I see that we, you said it already, you said it on programs that you've been on before, we see this behavior when it, we're talking about black politicians, we see this behavior when you're talking about, it could be the city of New York, it could be the uh, city of Chicago, city of Philadelphia, where we have people that have been, we're talking about black folks only, they've been in high ranking positions, the teachers are not getting paid enough, the students are not getting the resources they need, but all they're worried about is when that new budget comes in, that they're getting an increase on whatever their pension is and their budget. We had, let me give you an example. We've had a sister, Elliot loves her, family to Elliot, right, was a reverend. Okay, for crumbs. <laughs> okay, for crumbs, right? She got a little crumbs. Try to try to try to get out of sight for a while. Came back in the mission. Now she had a political position. How long she had her position, uh, Elliot? I don't know what 25, 30 years. Twenty five, thirty years. You hear my brother in New York. Twenty five, thirty yeah, years for some crumbs. She lost that position for crumbs. I don't think it's even a thousand dollars. Lost her position. And what she did, she 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 resigned to save what? Her pension. It was all about the money. It's not about the people. And this is what I'm seeing as the behavior when you when you cross it. I think it's like a black behavior that we have adopted 
that when we get in these positions where we're supposed to be helping our people, I don't mind if you're getting paid, but you know when you're not, you know when you're in an administrative position and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for the people. The people below you ain't getting paid, and you and you and you're passing policies where they can't get raises, but you're making sure that you get a raise every year. Something's mm-hmm. not well, right. I just go ahead, my brother. I just saw. I just saw. I think it was on the um, page that in Philadelphia they're closing all of the Afrocentric charter schools. That that that's what I think I matter of fact that's what I did did read. And it it, it goes to show that to be honest You said on the page you talking about on the time, no for, time for awakening page? I, I think it may have been on that page. I, I gotta look. I gotta look back in my history and check. But they said that they were closing all of the um Afrocentric um charter schools that they had set up to um teach our kids our our, our culture. Mulattoes somehow had it better 
you know, than other black folks. When that just simply does not hold hold up the water. You know, do we heard of the one drop rule? If they suspected you was black, you gonna get treated like you was black. You know, so I, I don't know what that mulatto stuff no look, I got a partner I got a partner who is an abolitionist. He co hosts the program. Um, his, his father's white. His mother is black. But he strongly identifies as black. He married a black woman. His children are black. And and so, and, and I mean, this dude, I've been dealing with him for four years now, and there's no doubt in my mind that his heart is committed to black people. But people will look at his wavy hair and, and, and his light skin, and they'll be like, oh, you you know, you, you know, like he's something less than black. Well, like well, he don't well, belong. I'll say, this, I'll, I'll say this to you. It's not about being less than belong or anything like that. It's just the direction of the creation of who we're, we're coming. I, I'll leave on this note. My niece, um, who's about to go to college, told me that um, she doesn't want to look at HBCUs because um, they're not diverse enough. And she believes in diversity. Now I already know she don't know nothing about diversity. You know where that came she from, right? Yeah, I know it came right. from a mother, mother, mother and father. No, I'm who, saying who it comes from these... programming, bro. It no, comes no, from bro, programming. Bro, no, no, no. Don't blame it on programming. You have to blame okay. it on the parents because the parents are the ones who back that nonsense up. Because when a child is being programmed. There's just certain things that don't feel right that they come home and they talk to their parents about when the parents are these middle class Negro peens. See, most, most, unfortunately, most children who live in, let's say, urban environments are not developed the same way that these kids are who parents are Negro peens. See, the Negro peen will sit down with their kids and talk to them in a different way and go along with that nonsense of diversity and don't tell them it from an African perspective and a European perspective because it's a right. whole different ball game. And yes, this is yes. one of the problems that are happening because those are the kids that mm -hmm. are placing us in the position to date. It may be one or two kids that may come out of a, a horrid situation and develop and grow into a certain level. But no, it's those Negro peens who, like I said, are fraternity and sorority Negroes who are putting the damage to us as people. And the reason why is because they do no study. They feel like they've gotten into a position where white folks haven't been totally going upside their head constantly, and they're able to have the trinkets to make them feel that they're part of this European culture. And, they and, and it's causing it all. They American done made it, dream. like you just said. Yeah. Right. And what is the American dream to an African other than what it has always been? But a nightmare. A nightmare. So, <laughs> so that that that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to say. We 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 sometimes don't look at who's really causing the problems to us really developing and dealing with this devil because they've so called made it out of the oppression that we in a sense are sitting in. And, okay. and, and if we could just start to deal with them 
on a certain level, then I think maybe we could we could do something. But you know, as always, this is a phenomenal show, brother. I mean, this is this is one of the best shows out there. And I mean, we just have to keep struggling, man, because you know you get to a point where all you can do is help those and mentor those who want to be helped and hey, mentor, hey, and, and, and and just leave the rest of them alone because all they gonna do, brother, is drag us down because. They don't want to be African. They want to be a part of this system. They think that mm-hmm. they're going to be a part of this system. And the sad thing is, like I always say, the resources in this country is dwindling for white folks. So what you think is really going to happen to black folks 10 to 20 years from now? And here it is, you raising children that when it really, really hits the fan, they're going to have nowhere to run to and no way of understanding how to deal with what they're, what they're dealing with. Because now the illusion is going to come to be something that they just not prepared for. And the thing is, you know what I do? I just don't say anything to them because I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight nobody over their kids when I know that I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose that battle. So you just smile and you say one thing to them. Read a book and learn to see it from an African perspective and learn to see it from your European perspective because there's two sides to each equation, and hopefully you'll, you'll figure it out. And if you need to have a question answered, you got my phone number, call me, and I'll try to explain it to you. Is but, that, you know, I know once but, I explain it to her, she going to go to her mama and daddy, and they go contradict it. But at least I hope she does one thing, think about what I've said to her. Thank okay, you for, brother, thank thank you for your you call, again, man. As always. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. You know, uh, uh, Scotty, Reg, before we uh, I'm take a little brief break, before we go to break, you know, Jay just – Actually, I got to go. I got to go. Um, well, listen, I'm going to tell I, you this before I, you go. Jay just confirms to me why we need more of these stories told by our people. Well, let, 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 me, let me leave you with this comment, though. We need <laughs> – I hate to use this word, but think about the context I'm using it. We need a diversity of these stories. Oh, I, I agree. It all being one-sided. Think about this now. When I saw Roots as a child, I was traumatized by that. As an adult, when I watched Goodbye Uncle Tom, I had to watch it in pieces, all right, because it was just so brutal. Now, wait a minute. It's so realistic. But our ancestors didn't take it in pieces. They took it all straight with no chasing. Well, look, look, look. You know what? I'm sure some of them looked away while their child was being strung up on a tree. I'm just being honest. Yeah, well, listen. Look at it, the African side of Europeans. In in that first episode, and I'm just using this because a lot of people watch television, they watch stories. In that first episode of that remake of Roots, when they beat that man almost within inches of his life, he told all those other 40 people on the plantation, you better not look away or you're going to take your turn. So they all had to look. So okay. hey, listen. Uh, uh, so they listen. were forced to look, right? Exactly. By the by the, by the uh, oppressor. Yeah. Okay. Well, I ain't got nobody forcing me to look. Well, at I'm just saying. Right. I, I, but but let, let me say this though. Let me say this. Let me say this. 
this is the way, why I'm saying this, that we need a diversity, why we need more of the Nat Turners, why we oh, need I agree with you. the story about Frederick Douglass and how when he beat that white man's butt. Before he know, ran off that <laughs> Before you he know, ran off. Isn't that incredible that you'd have no story been told about Frederick Douglass? That's incredible. Yeah, but it's on purpose. See, this is what Snoop Dogg may not admit what he said, but it was deeper than what he was even thinking. Well, wait a minute, and I'm glad that you mentioned him. Before I go to break, now Snoop Dogg wanted to mention that he's tired of seeing these movies. Okay, you're tired of it, but you're different than the average black person because you've got money to put on another story. Get busy. If you're tired of certain images, then get busy. What are you doing? He ain't got to put on another movie for me. He need to take that bun out of his mouth and pull his pants up and start doing something to help this struggle. But, But listen to me. Listen to me, though. This kind of stuff has an effect on people. When when I hear people talk about post-traumatic stress, post means it's over with. We stressing out over the slavery that's happening today and all the mistreatment and the abuse. And when you take nothing but that kind of movie into your spirit over and over, it's going to have a negative impact. You got to have balance. I ain't saying don't watch none of it, but you also need to watch how you need to see the stories about the Haitian Revolution. You got to hear about Shaka Zulu. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Reg. Okay, I know you got to go. The only thing that I'm going to say now, even though I ain't watch it, people. Watch, I think some young people need to watch it, and some older people need to watch it. I don't. I don't necessarily need to watch it because I read, you know. And I think it ain't nothing more vivid than my own. Negro peers need to watch it. That's who need it. No, no, Negro peers. Negro peers. But what I'm saying with the balance, I think the equation is so far tilted. You understand? With the foolishness, uh-huh. the laughing. I like to laugh. I like to watch comedy stuff and all that. But I know that most of our, I'm not going to say most of our, uh, a lot of our folks, the diet of what they watch is not a diet of constructive television. Right, right, it's a right. a steady diet of something to make you feel good, something about relationships, something to whatever make Whatever they want to program. Whatever it is that, that programming. You don't have a lot. You might have without black you might have a few folks, and I would say there's probably somebody some people, some some people in their early twenties, some people probably in their thirties and forties or older that watch documentaries only. They like to watch documentaries. A lot of it's what the person's into. Now, my thing is after you watch that, who was doing the talking to the person watching it and what you think about it? I don't my my point of my point of reference is I don't want any black child being having anything with slavery or what has been done to us or what's been done. They don't need no, we don't need any white person talking to them about that. We don't need any white person from ESPN telling us about Ali Cassius Clay to right. Ali. We don't need any white person doing it because you see what they're doing. Everything's always sanitized because Based on what Jay just said, he used a strong word, mulatto. We could use another word, but you see what's going on. One time, interracial relationships was frowned upon. You know what I mean? Now, look at the white man. Look at the white woman. Look at the times of what's going on. White women are having problems producing babies, right? White men are having all types of disease where their, their, their length of life is not as long. Black yeah, their disease is Black, <laughs> they getting black, killed off in these wars. Black folks and brown folks are increasing. 
So they're small in the number with the power. Look at the look at the equation. All it takes is for a, a, a small group. Now it doesn't have to be a big group of us to wake up, watch things, and do. Our problem is not so much of getting the information, it's coming together, organizing, and putting out instead of talking so much, put some action behind it. That's what they're scared of of us coming to our natural minds where we know ah, it's more of us than them. They manufacture weapons, but we have things that we still can do where they're going to have to make a decision whether they're going to shoot all of us or going to have to deal and change. And I think that's what it is. You see all this, like what Brother Jay said, it might come across as offensive to some people. I see what he's saying that his Baba told him a little bit, but think about it. Mm-hmm. The more interracial relationships, the more interracial uh, 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 units that we have, and baby, yeah, yeah, we, I, I this, get that. We, we I, I, get, I get that. Where, where is that diversity, and where it comes be, becomes a kumbaya story about slavery? Slavery becomes a lullaby story, like a poem and poetry, where it makes white folks feel good. It's like every right, black right. person that has done anything for us, and they have died. And you have white folks talking about they love that person. You better watch that white person very closely because you know doggone well what Ali was talking about. When Ali was a nation of Islam, no white folks didn't care about him. They like his personality. Maybe he could entertain like a box, but they ain't like what he stood for. Now you got all these white folks talking about they, oh, what he stood for. You don't have, come on, I don't want to hear none of that nonsense because I know it's not true and accurate. I was young and I know that's not true and accurate. It couldn't be true and accurate because, uh, uh, because, because if you don't, if you want to believe that's not true, look at 60 Minutes when they had Nation of Islam leader. I think it was Elijah Muhammad was, uh, I can't remember the uh, guy's name. that He just passed away, I think, last year interviewing him. They hated and have a problem with any group that's talking about doing for self and coming together because they think it's hate against White oppression, period. Ali, we know he made a transition. What are, what, what are, you hear these white folks? Clinton, you eulogizing him? For what? Clinton is a crook. Clinton was, Clinton, Clinton was a crook when he was in Arkansas. Hey, hey, hey guys, I got I, 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 I don't want, I don't want you to get hit upside the head. I'm going to let you go, Scotty. See you. Yeah, Thanks. Clinton okay. was a crook in Arkansas. He was a crook. In, in, in Washington, he's a crook in Harlem. Ain't nothing to change about him. Let's go to 561 Erica. Which name are you call? me all, all out, of, bent out of shape. But I know you, 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 those are your folks. You love them. He what? played the saxophone. Had you mesmerized, Elliot. Yeah, right. What's the name where you calling from? 561 Erica. This is Amafika Gayuka listening to you brothers get off there. <laughs> um, How you doing, sir? I'm going to bring it down uh, to Dodgers, brother. I'm doing fairly well, all things considered. I want to share a little, uh, slightly different insight uh, regarding that whole issue of uh, the damage that could be done to uh, black folk by watching uh, films and movies that remind us of the horrors that we were, or our ancestors were subjected to as a part of the slave-making process. you know, there used to be a saying, you, you brothers may be old enough to remember some of the older black folks saying it, would look at somebody who uh, was looking terrible, 
uh, especially if they had any kind of scars on their face, and they would say the dog looked like uh, he or she been a, was in a hatchet fight, and you're the only person in the hatchet fight that didn't have a hatchet. Uh, black folk uh, look like a group of people who have been in a fight where the weapon was organization, and we were the only ones who had no weapons because unlike everybody else who was organized uh, to defend and advance their group interests, uh, they were organized. We are not. So we tend to be affected by situations differently than people who have the presence of mind to organize themselves, to defend themselves against what other people may do to them, and to take proactive initiatives when it serves their interest to do so. Now, by way of showing you the difference between how we are almost forced to address this issue of the effect of movies like Roots and the degradation that's shown there and what the Jews have done with depictions of what was supposedly done to them by Hitler and the Nazis during the 12 years of Holocaust that they said that they were subjected to. Because the Jews are organized, and have no interest other than their own interest, uppermost, foremost, hindmost, and all twixt in between. And because there is an element of Jews, a relatively small number and percentage, about 2% of them, interestingly enough, called uh, Zionists, who really are the organizing force for all of the Jews in the world, even those Jews who are not themselves Nazis benefit uh, not Nazis, but Zionists benefit from the uh, ways that the Zionists have strategized and used tactics to get them where they wanted to be. Now, for example, you all are well aware of the images that they show of emaciated bodies of people who were supposedly Jews who were starved to death, and uh, they show some rather horrendous-looking things, show them being uh, pushed into mass graves, nothing but uh, skin on, on, on bones, very skeletal remains, et cetera, et cetera. But they, because they're organized, they can use those sorts of depictions to uh, engender sympathy on behalf of people all around the world who see those images and shudder. Now, they would not be able to use those images effectively if they were not organized and did not have a plan of action uh, by which they use those images within the proper context for maximum effect. The problem with us not being able to use the images that are similar and even worse in terms of many situations, like, for example, the... Um, the hangings that they've done, the lynchings of black folks, the burning of black folks uh, on bonfires and white folks around and they're having beer parties uh, while it's going on and that sort of stuff. In the absence of organization and, and direction and a context in which we would use it, yes, those images then tend to do us more harm than good. But that's because of our laxity and being willing to step up to the plate and act like we're grown-ups and not children and plan and organize, as Reggie mentioned earlier, so that we can have a plan of action 
and the ability and the willingness to execute that plan, and then we can get ourselves out of this mess. I remind you all again, Marcus Garvey said it best, there is nothing common to man that man cannot do. My interpretation of that is that only proof that you need that it's possible for a human being or a group of human beings to accomplish a thing is because some human being or group of human beings have already done it. We have, in the example of these people who now call themselves Jews, they're actually Khazarians, that they have in fact brought themselves from being on the bottom of the European heap of humanity to the very top of the world. And you all know that they now control the world because they even control the United States, which still has the most powerful military in the world, at least for the time being. So our problem, brothers, is not that we need to be afraid or fearful of these situations or circumstances, and we certainly should not be guided by the advice of uh, people uh, like Neely Fuller Jr., who basically say that the worst thing that we can do is unify or attempt to unify because we're toxic, and the best thing that we can do is stay the hell away from one another. That's the (laughs) absence of what Mr. Garvey said we need when he said that the most effective tool and weapon used against black people is disorganization or the absence of effective organization. So I suggest that you all fret not that, in fact, the cavalry has arrived, and it has arrived in the person and in the mechanism that we call, and you all advertise every week, the one million conscious black voters and contributors. And if anyone in the listening audience wants to be a part of the solution to the dilemma that everybody else is wringing their hands and gnashing their teeth about, just go to our website, review what's there, If you believe that what you see there is what you could be a part of, then join, sign up, and become one of the million, and let's get this job done. Let's win for a change. And thank you for your patience and listening to me. (laughs) Thank you for your call, sir. You're welcome. Uh, 785 Erico, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Yeah, this is Renee. I'm crossing Kansas. Renee, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. I, I I just want to talk about what that man that you got to talking was talking about. He was talking about comparing Ashkenazi Khazars who are white to black people. Uh, there's no comparison. Those people are white. They will get sympathy because they are white. They are not Jews. The original Jews are 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 Africans. And I get so sick of black people referring to whites as Jews because they are not. And, um, well, he said, if you problems. recall, Renee, he said so-called Jews. He said so-called Jews? Mm-hmm. He well, said he they are actually Khazarians. How, how they get compassion and all that all over the world, and they got power. They're white. That's why. They are they are they are the same as all other white folks. They are no different. And I, and I find it offensive. So, so, so let me ask you a question. Sister Renee, let me ask you a quick question. Then why... Do skinheads have a problem with uh, white Jewish folks? Is that the same? Is it from from the lineage? If it came down to skinheads again, from, from skinheads fighting against Jews as opposed to fighting against us, who who do you think they're gonna uh, 
fighting again. So, well, if, if you ever, if I've done, I've done extensive uh, studying about uh, white supremacist groups, skinheads, and they will unequivocally tell you with, no, with no, no thought that they don't like us and they don't like them either. They think, they think they're the problem, reason why they're not hiring the totem pole in, within this country because of, because of Jewish, white Jewish folks. Well, how come a lot of white Jews can move into can move into sundown towns? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just trying to give you another point of rationale. The uh, brother I'm thinking of was on. He's very well versed in knowing, you know, the difference between Kazarians and Ashkenazi Jews. So that that's mm-hmm. not, that's that's no problem. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just giving you the. Look, I'm not comparing us to any of those folks. I know our situation is totally different. We're still being being oppressed, whether it's a skinhead or or a so-called Jew. We're still being oppressed by both of them. So don't, so I don't want you to get anything twisted up with what I'm saying. I just want you to just look at it, and I just wanted to get your viewpoint on it. That's all. Uh, well, what's the viewpoint you want me to, to? Because because you have a lot of you have a lot of you said they're both the same, and you have a lot of white folks that say that they're not the same as Jewish. White white Jewish folks, they say they're different, and they can't stand them. They hate them. Uh, to me, they're they're the same. As long as they're white, they're the same, and they get treated the same. They have the, the same. I mean, they get uh, the same benefits as 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 whites. There's there's no difference. I mean, they just copied their way of beliefs from the original Jews. And they call themselves Jews. Well, I don't have any problem with what you're saying, Renee, but, uh, I mean, uh, did you, you were trying to make a particular point? Yeah, I'm trying to make a point because I don't like how black people will say, well, the, the, why can't we be like how, how the Jews were, the the Jews doing this? No, I think that he, what he was saying was, I need to organize. I don't care whether it's uh, Jews, so-called Jews, whether you're talking about Italians, uh, uh, people of Asian descent. Everybody organizes around uh, things that they want to do as a people. You see China now organizing to to move into the continent of Africa. Everybody organizes. So when you hear people use examples and they use other people, they use other people because, you know, some some of our people need to learn from these examples. Hey, you know what? Let me let me give you a good example. Let me give you a good example, my sister, before we uh we get off. I think I mentioned this before. So we 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 can uh we can just use another example. So when you have Mexicans that are in this country, whether they're here, a lot of them are here. You have some that are here illegal, some legal, right? Now, you know that they supply a lot of labor within this country, cheap, cheap cheaper labor, and you know that they organize. Whether even if they're illegal, I was in Atlanta recently, but I was in Atlanta. I remember about I think I talked about this in the program maybe six or seven years ago, and I was out, and I know a lot of the uh, the people that are opposite ended up on news were undocumented in this country, but they do a lot of you know the building trades in Atlanta. They were out there protesting, but it was organized. It wasn't just people out there screaming. They set up something before they went out. Rolled out. They had demands of what they wanted, because they were the they were the labor force that was doing a lot of stuff that other folks uh, supposedly didn't want to do. So I just want to put that out there. So the the real 
the real argument that our last caller that was on is really talking about organization, like Elliot said, versus disorganization. Nothing, nothing else. And, and, and anything that any folks are demonstrating that it's good, we were the first demonstrators of that behavior in this world. It's just because we have been so brain trashed and not, not to stick together. I mean, because Africans come over here and they stick together. I mean, they usually stick together by country, not by continent. Because I know Nigerians will stick together by Nigerians, and they'll look down on people from from Kenya, you know, you know, like that. But um, because they have been, I mean, they are over here by themselves, and they know that in order to survive, they have to do that. But we have not been taught like that as American Black people. I, I hope I'm making sense. I, I don't. I'm just. I don't know if you guys. No, no, no. no. I, mm-hmm. I, I follow you, but I think it's a trap too. All right, let me give you the background. I'm I'm first generation, uh, born over here in this country. Okay, myself and my and my one brother. I have my father, and I have one brother in Atlanta, but two. They were born. Two of my brothers were born in England. But lived most of the life in Guyana. My father and my mother, they were they were, they were born and raised in Guyana, South America, right? So yes. Guyana, South America was you have British Guyana, you have uh Dutch Guyana, you have French Guyana. It's only English British Guyana is the only um English speaking country in South America. So I go I used to go through this this whole thing back and forth with my family too. So just because you were taught and raised in the British colonial system and you have your ideas how you think about black people here in this country, don't think that we in any separate boats just because you have an understanding or command of the King English a little better or no etiquette a little better than what's going on than, than blacks here historically taught here. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we speak about Nigerians, anybody else. It's still brainwashing, as yeah. you stated. <laughs> yep. And we do ourselves a disservice thinking that these people are coming here to take away something from us and vice versa. Because they're just as brainwashed if you go to Jamaica. Jamaica was under British and colonial rule also. Where my family was from under British and colonial rule still argue that what was done to the black man, woman, and child in this country, not saying that it wasn't done, but here in this country, it was perfected. How to give out a nice 99 lashes, how to emasculate a man, how to humiliate a woman, how to bastardize a child, that was perfected in this, in this country. So when when I talk to anybody that's coming from the continent, South America, any place else, and they look on, plus the 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 media agenda to make the black woman and child in this country look like they're nothing, that they're backwards, ignorant, don't do anything. They've done a great job as far as putting that out through all out the world. You leave this country right now, go to Japan, go to some place. You're like an oddity. And looking at, but those same places they want to be just like you. Who's this? Who are the trendsetters of every? When you look at who the most ignorant people that they'll say are young people that can't read and write a lot of, not all of them. They're the trendsetters 
effect. I know. It's our fault. It's our young folks. All over the world. All over, All the, over world. the world. All the over music, the world. Hip hop, everything. Everything. Think about when we were enslaved in this country. Okay? If we're the progenitors of everything at our worst state, we're still more civilized than our oppressor. In our worst state. And I think right, about it. Right. And I worst yeah. we've had our women giving their children their breast. Right? Right. We're cooking yes. their food. Mm-hmm. We're cleaning their house. Yeah. We're tilling their land. We're building their architecture with all the architectural sites you see in this country. I've, these black folks that despise in this country, they did it, whether they knew how to exactly. read or not. Whether they knew exactly. how to read or not. And, and, and when you look at where we are now, if you look at, and I know there's something on YouTube, if you look at a race, you're going to run a race. Look how far behind where we are, where we could be, but look at where we are despite what's been done and what's still going to, there's no, listen, if you really look at it, there's no reason that we even should be around or even doing what we are doing right now, if you think about it. I know, I know. That's why I don't really get, like, I don't like to get, you know, I used to get caught up in the stuff. I used to argue with people. I don't get caught. I understand why people, if you're from Jamaica, Ghana, you want to big up where you're from and all that, but it's still the same condition because if you're in Guyana right now, when you had Walter Rodney that was in Jamaica, and Guyana that was killed. You know what he was doing? He was fighting oppression, and he wasn't fighting oppression against white folks. He was fighting oppression versus Indians that weren't ruled, that were doing the same thing that white folks do to us here yeah. in this country. There ain't no difference. The coolies, I know. Yeah, you still, and you call, and listen, you say that, you call somebody a coolie crab, an Indian, that's a higher so just like us being called a nigger. I, I know. That's, okay. that's why I said it. Because I All know. right. Well, you know, so I'm just trying to let you know, just because I speak and I don't have any uh, Caribbean accent, I know the deal. You know, a lot of people don't understand. I know the deal. I've been around. I've, I, I've traveled. But the, still, the thing is, the system could have different faces, but the same, and the same thing in the continent. We have black folks that want to go to the continent, but you have black leadership, black Brothers and sisters that should know better, they have far worse conditions than us. You don't have you don't have a lot of our children that's bleaching our skin trying to be white. Come on. Talking about this country. Whether you say our children are ignorant or not, you don't see a lot of our children trying to lighten their skin. They have an yeah. our children have an unexpressed rage that needs to be garnered. And, and, and shown where to go by our elders. That's what needs to be done. It's been done. I, our generation of folks that we look at as throwaway. They're the ones that we need to take us to the next to the next place where we need to be. It's never been. If you look at the '60s and '70s, it was all young people that were leading the movements. It wasn't no person 40, 50, 60 years old. Because everything is backwards now. I know that we're living longer, but anybody older. Should be coaching. I just talked to Bob Amafika about this today. Shouldn't be in there, uh, uh, in the in the middle, bringing a rock up, passing her. All they should be doing is coaching. They don't put in their work. 
but we don't have enough people that are willing to really come out and volunteer and do stuff because all we want to do is find an excuse not to work with somebody or not to do something all the time. I'm not saying that sometimes I'm not working with no crazy people. I'm going to put it straight up. I'm not working with no crazy people. I'm not going to no meetings. I don't care if it's right around across the street. I'm not going to five or ten meetings and it's just about meeting and hearing people vent all the time and they're not going to do nothing. I go to a meeting with young people venting because they're new, they're trying to learn, they're trying to get, that's fine. But I'm not going with no people over 40 years of age, 35, 50, that know what the deal is and all they're trying to do is play games. I don't have no time for it. I'd rather go 10 miles. I'd rather go to another state to go to the meeting that's going to be, be about something that you're going to do something after the meeting other than talking rhetoric. And I don't care if there's only one or two people going to do it. That's the start. That's the mindset that we have to have. So I, all I'm saying, sister, for us, we don't need to get caught up in this Nigerian, this person from Botswana, they're coming to this country to doing it, this Mexican. All we really need to do is do what we're supposed to be doing, coming together. We don't need to worry about no minimum wage. All right? But as soon as they bring up the minimum wage, you know what they do? They bring up the price of milk. They bring up the price of corn. Mm-hmm. They bring up the price of everything, and you're still where you at. These people that we're dealing with, they think. They're playing chess. We play checkers. They're playing chess. We're not thinking. we got to have strategies. If we're at war, you got to think like you're in a war. you got to think yeah. like you're in a war. We need to stop separating. You know what? A lot of the people that are Star Wars in this country for black liberation, they weren't born in the United States of America. Stokely Carmichael, I believe he's from Trinidad and Tobago. He wasn't from this country. Yeah. And you got people talking about no people over in Trinidad. It's, stu- it's stupid. It don't make any sense. We have a lot of people that spread out all over this world. We're the timepiece. The people in this country, if you think about it, even though we, we say that we don't think that we're nothing, we're not doing anything, all these people that are all over are looking to see what the black man, woman, and child are doing in this country. That's true. Right. Sister, I want to thank you for your call. Okay, thank you. Bye. We're going to take a brief break, and uh, I guess when we come back, we'll wind things down. What do you think, Ray? Yeah, that'd be good, Ellie. All right, we'll take a brief break when we come back. Uh, are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. What is in one million brothers and sisters who are tired of the same old rhetoric, the same old leaders, the same old ways of dealing with political and economic empowerment? If you realize that nobody's going to save black people but us, if you understand that no existing political party prioritizes the best interests of African Americans as a collective, if you believe that leadership is as leadership does, and this means that the best leaders for the black collective must come from the ranks of those who place and hold the best interests of black people foremost and uttermost, if you understand that black people must develop the mindset and the will to finance their own racial uplift organizational efforts, then get involved with one million conscious black voters and contributors. The movement is now. Go to www.iamoneofthemillion.com. That's www.iamoneofthemillion.com. It is now commonly recognized that white people do more drugs than blacks and Hispanics, but go to jail for it far less often. White kids also smoke and drink more than black kids, which most people would assume should correlate with youthful rebellion or rowdiness. But it's the black kids that are expelled from school at far higher rates than those hard-smoking, booze-swilling whites. What the numbers are really telling us is that the way black people actually behave is not nearly as important as the way the state intervenes in black people's lives. Crime statistics do not measure actual crime. They measure arrests and convictions. In that sense, crime statistics are actually measurements of the activities of police, prosecutors, and judges. Black people are simply the objects that are being acted upon by the criminal justice system. Now, this doesn't mean that black folks don't engage in their share of crime. It simply means you can't measure the prevalence of crime or antisocial behavior in the black community by arrest and conviction statistics or by expulsions from school. Longitudinal studies are valuable sociological tools because they keep track of groups of people over a period of years, even decades, rather than just presenting a snapshot of the human subjects.
This month, the American Journal of Public Health published the results of a longitudinal study of nearly 2,000 young people who passed through the intake facility at the Cook County Juvenile Temporary Detention Center in Chicago, Illinois, between November 1995 and June 1998. Researchers interviewed the juveniles about their substance use disorders, or SUDs, in the jargon of the profession. At intervals over a period of 12 years, the researchers caught up with their subjects and debriefed them on their use of alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, hallucinogens or PCP, opiates, amphetamines, and other drugs. They found that not only were the white former juvenile detainees more likely to use drugs as they got older, their use of cocaine was 30 times higher than among the African Americans in the study. Hispanics were 20 times more likely to get coked up than blacks, and whites were 50 times more likely than blacks to be abusing opiates. These are extreme figures, showing a disparity in drug abuse behavior between blacks and whites so huge it could not possibly reflect the different ethnic groups' behavior in society at large. White people as a group do not do 30 times more cocaine than blacks. However, white kids that wind up getting caught by Chicago-area police and sent to the juvenile detention center represent the most troubled cohort of their age and race. Even white skin privilege could not save them from arrest. They were the most doped up of their young white cohort, and they stayed that way as they got older. Whereas the black kids that were passing through the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center were much more ordinary, because picking up black children and throwing them in jail is quite an ordinary thing for cops to do. The study does not shed much light on race and drugs, but it does reveal a lot about race and the criminal justice system. For Black Agenda Radio, I'm Glenn Ford. On the web, go to blackagendareport.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. and uh, Coming to the end of uh, another program, Brother Rich, any final thoughts, anything you want to throw out? Yeah, just uh, let me give out the, uh, the website for the system that was just on the program. Uh no what for, for the one million oh wait wait a minute it's not in front of me uh just go to I am one of the million dot com sister I am one of the million dot com yeah. read the uh, the planks look at the mission statement and like I say uh, get in <laughs> get in where you fit in Rich you want to take one more yeah. Go ahead. Let's let's grab this call. Nine one seven area code. What's your name? Where you're calling from? I'm Anthony. I'm calling from uh, Brooklyn in New York. How are you, sir? What's your name again? Lee. Lee. Yes. How are you, Lee? I'm I'm well, thanks. How are you doing? Great. Good to hear. Good to hear. Good to hear. I think I, I missed most of the program. I hear that you guys are almost wrapping up, and I wasn't quite sure what the topic was for the day. But I called that uh, the. Uh, the last bit there, where a young lady had called in and she was uh, pointing out differences between various groups of these African, etc. Um, 
again, I don't know what the main theme or topic was for, for, for today's program. Well, we were kind of in open form, Lee. We were kind of, uh, you know, talking about in relation to um, to to history and, uh, you know, our people needing to know who they are and what they're really up against. And we were kind of dovetailing that off the topic of uh, the presentation or the representation or the rebroadcast of uh, the program Roots. And, you know, just hearing some of the callers' opinions on things centering around our struggle here. Uh, well, I see, I see. I, I did like the comment uh, that you, uh, or, or you pulled out the fact rather about um, uh, the movements uh, in the 50s, 60s, uh, 70s, how it was primarily, uh, you know, uh, led by young people where uh, the older uh, person amongst us were advising and uh, how it's completely reversed today. But then, back there, I think um, those younger people have, were far better educated. Even though education wasn't great, but they, they still had, they were, they had a far greater political acumen than I think than, than the people, young people today. I mean, you know, I see us marching around and saying things like, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. Which somebody, you know, I think somebody amongst your your studio um, cadre there said, said well, today or some other time that it was kind of a weak, uh, a weak mantra, a weak, uh, weak um, cry, um, which I kind of agree with. But you know, I, I, will, I will say when I speak some uh, of our young people, you know, walking around saying Black Lives Matter, and then you turn around and you start calling each other nigger. So yeah. when other people hear that, they can't be, they don't believe you. Okay. You know, you know and it, you know, it's just, um, you know, you probably say to someone and then two seconds later they're saying, you know, the same thing, and and to this, and this, this, and then, and I just kind of why, what do you think it is that it's so difficult for young, young um, Africans here in, in America stop, stop, uh, stop that behavior? I think I think you already know. I think you already know. It's 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 the programming through television. Um, I'm gonna say one of the major things I see a lot, and as and it's with adults also that we don't read. We don't read. We write. Read. Let me give you an example. I I, I like to read when I was coming up. My parents like in the summertime we were away from didn't have school. I couldn't go out to play unless I read chapters and was able to discuss what I read. That was just a rule in my host, household. And as I got older, I, 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 I'm, a fond of, I'm still fond of reading as an adult. Um, I find that a lot of adults, if they go to college to get educated, they might read the, the, the information that they had to read to, you know, to pass a class or whatever the case may be. But after that, they're not reading books. I have a lot of friends of mine that went to college, the college educated, they don't read. They read articles. They might read a magazine, but when's the last time they read uh, a book that's over <laughs> 75 pages, 100 pages, 300 pages? They said, I, I haven't done that in three years, five years, 10 years, or since I got out of school. Um, so if we're looking at that, and then you're looking at our children, I think reading has to be something that's instituted by the whoever's the guardians of our children, you know, grandfather, grandmother, extended family, father and mother. It has to be something that needs to be, and I use this word all the time, needs to be made sexy. I think being, uh, being uh, having information in your head, learning, 
um, being able to critical think is something that's not really made sexy to our children because it's easier for them to be sitting in front of a television. Yeah. Either for easier for them to watch YouTube clips to, to, to feel, to get that little small high and that's it. But it's not really, we're not teaching our children the critical think. When you're talking about sixties and seventies, I will say that if children had political activism going on, it's because it's what their parents or grandparents were doing around them where they didn't have any choice they, but to hear that type of conversation or they were going to those type of meetings to have that sort of activism. And even to, to take it another, and I want you to, where, where are you from, my brother? Well, I grew up, I grew up in, um, in England, in Birmingham. Okay, great, great, um, great. I, I want to um, I I I ask you a question. You might be able Now, I know in the United States, that I, I, I've been here for a long time, though. No problem, no problem, you're good. So I will say that the gangs, like if you look at gangs in England and gangs over here, we're saying like in, in the 60s and 70s versus gangs right now. Gangs, I believe, in the 60s and 70s were more organized. Now right. you have groups of people that are coming together because they need that familial need, you know, because they a surrogate mother, father, grandparent. That's what it is. They might have a hierarchy within the gang, but it's not any organizational movement really that's going on with it. Now, I'm not talking about gangs that are selling drugs like that. I'm talking about gangs that are coming together just to come together now versus in the past, there were gangs that might have been dealing with the drugs, might have been dealing with social inequities that they're dealing with. But those young men and women, they were organized. Like they was, they was moving out. They had meetings. They had, they're writing down notes. Of the Absolutely. Meetings, and they were doing a lot of things. Our children now, I, I will say like, and I hate to say this, I, I think technology is hamstringing a lot of our, our young people. Because because it doesn't it's taken away from their ability to have to really think things through, think things long range. All they have to think about is the now, what they want now, and that's it. Well, well, that yes, I agree with that somewhat. But I mean, when I look at this, our young children, technology is hamstring them. Yeah, I, I think I know you were going to go with this, but when I look at um, technology and and uh, uh, young children from places like Nigeria and Africa. And what they're doing with technology is completely different. They're using it. They're using it to empower themselves. They're creating apps. They're creating all sorts of programs. They're doing some brilliant things with technology. They, you know, they really are. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a night and day comparison. You know, um, the reasons behind that, I don't know. Well, I think, well, you know, I don't know. I think the reasons behind that is kind of one of the things that you just highlighted in terms of young uh, people joining uh, gangs. And um, I think it was Dr. Welsing who might, might have pointed that, pointed that or someone else. But, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, because of the broken family structures, they, they need a place to belong and, you know, feel as if they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, they have worth, basically, and they get that from their peers in the gang um, quite a bit. It's not, it's not um, available to them in the home. Um, in the home that's no longer flourishing. Um, and, 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 and what I will say, too, is that with young people, the the biggest example that you can do for a, a, a young person is be consistent and, and, and whatever it is that you're doing. And I'm not mm. talking about on the negative side because they see enough of that. 
but I'm talking about on the positive side and model that behavior that you want to see your child at some point emulate. So if you're sitting at home, as you're, if, if the uncle, the father, the grandfather is sitting home reading, there's more than likelihood at some point in time when that child gets a little older, they're going to look at there's something about reading because everybody, you know, all the men in my family, they were always reading, studying, taking writing notes, whether they were in school or not. And I think the, when you're talking about education, I don't have any problem with formal education, but also know that in the past, even if the person could not read or write, they still wanted their children to have the aptitude of having literacy and going to the next level. And I think there's been a breakdown because there's no separation between the behavior of the grandfather, the father, and the son now. Everybody's listening to the same music. You can't have a grandfather with his pant his, his drawers hanging off his behind, the son doing the same the, the son doing the same thing, and the grand and the grandson doing the same thing. It's crazy. You have what? households with the grandmother smoking weed, her daughter smoking weed, and the grandchild smoking weed, all the same place and listen to the same music. It's been a breakdown. It's been a breakdown. I'm not saying there's another household. Go ahead. The thing, the thing is, though, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. The thing is that, um, you know, when you, when you say that, I, I keep on thinking of the, um, of the, of the parable of the children of Israel sojourning in the desert for 40 years, and you know, apparently, um, you know, a couple of million went in, and only a few thousand came out. And I'm thinking, is it going to be the same thing with us as a whole here? Because you know, when, I, when you talk about examples like the whole family just uh, involved in destructive behaviour, you know, through several generations. I mean, do we, at this particular juncture, the world, what's going on in the world as we see it in terms of, you know, it seems as if um, somebody somewhere, and I'm not going to get into this too much, needs to start a big war for X reason. You know, there's things going on in South Asia, there's things going on in Europe, South America is all embroiled again, you know, dollar to dollar is, uh, uh, hegemony is diminishing, all kinds of things going on, you know. And then, you know, uh, the rest of the world, you know, for instance, even in New York, probably you guys in Pennsylvania, you probably see, but, you know, the Asians named the Chinese. The Chinese have spent $110 billion in the last um, uh, uh, 10 years on real estate in, uh, in America. You know, there's the same statistics, like the average cost of a house, uh, not to di- diverge too much, but the average cost of a house in America is something like 250000 and the average co- uh, 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 amount of an Asian spend on a house is over 700000 So, you know... That I think people are um, generally um, involved and interested in a different sort of global and political dynamic than we are, and, and that's there's all reasons because of that. Because you know, it, it's, I think essentially because we, as a group, are so uh, fractionalized that, that it's impossible, you know, by and large. So, you know, when you're talking about. Um, you know, if we go back to what I was originally looking at, we'll talk about, uh, you know, uh, groups of us who are just completely and utterly in chaos. Can we, do we have the time to really devote energies in terms of collecting everybody? Because we're so sort of far behind the eight ball that we probably have to concentrate on a certain, uh, you know, grouping amongst us or certain groupings amongst us. And that's, the, that's the only hope that we have in terms of, um, you know, uh, moving forward and, and developing. 
let me let me say something to you in close, and and, and I, I appreciate your call and, and, and what you've added to the program. I, I just want to put this to you for you to look at. I'm not when I'm talking, I'm not talking so much to talk down to our people, but I do, no, no. I do know that we have the ability to do a lot better. That's me included. A lot better than we think that we can because it has been done in the past. It's a new, might be a new situation. But we can still do it. Now I want I want to just lay this out to you. You have a lot of people in 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 the black, you could say Pan African community, Pan Africanist community that say they're conscious, right? It's the, it's the new term, the conscious black community right now. Do you know you use a word and I'm gonna use it again? Do you know how fractured our conscious black community is? The ones who the ones who are teaching. The ones who are going out to different places, getting money, right, from our people to, 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 for them to be able to teach our people something. But if you take 10 of the best known conscious black men and women that are out going to city to city and state to state to give, to waken our minds of our people, right, and sit down and figure out and find out the amount of beef and problems that they have with one another, that's I look at that as a, a as a, a as a, a macrocosm of our problem. Mm. We, 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 our overall program. You have people who are saying that they're conscious, right? I, I, I sometimes I want to say conscious to what, but I but I, I want to say for benefit of the doubt and respect for my people, they're saying they're conscious of the situation of this injustice system. They're conscious of knowing what our people need, right? They might have a plan that might be different from the other conscious brothers and sisters, but they're trying to do something. But there's still a tremendous amount of white action, white thought, and white behavior among them. You know why? Because they're tearing and ripping each other apart, even on their so-called black conscious platform. And I want to end on that, my brother. Thank you for the call. Hey, Lee, let me say this before you go. In reference to what you had mentioned earlier about the the difference between the movement in the 60s and now is our people being educated. Um, I would have to agree with that. I, in fact, I do agree with that because all of the leaders, whether you're talking about in SNCC, uh, in the Panthers, even Malcolm and Martin, even though Malcolm never went to no formal university, he was an educated man. He educated himself. All those other men, uh, 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 all of them had some type of formal education. If you go back a little further, Marcus Garvey it was an educated man. When he came here, he was looking to meet Booker T. Washington. He was a great orator and organizer. That showed a skill in itself. You go a little bit further back than that, Martin Delaney, Frederick Douglass, they were self-educated. In fact, a lot of the white abolitionists never believed that Douglass was a slave because he was so uh, uh, skillful with the English language. So Very important, it, that. Very important. Yes. So I think it's imperative now that our people, that if, if they want to help our people, at least educate themselves on issues that they, they'll be proficient in dealing with. They don't have to uh, get a formal degree, have a master's, but you have to have some type of of uh, 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 
self-education, self-awareness to educate yourself on issues that you'll be able to effectively help your people. So I, I do agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And, Lee, well, listen, so call again. Is, was this a, is this your first time calling? Yes, I listen to you guys practically every every day. You know, I'm on the Black Talk Radio Network. Thank you, uh, Scotty, for hosting hosting the whole thing. Appreciate that. Um, so, it is my first time calling. And I'll just say this one thing before. I know that you're wrapping up, but, um, you know, I really do miss Dr. Uh, Dr. Amos Wilson. God, I wish he was still alive. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> man, he was something else. Lee, thank you for your call, man, and call again. Okay. Peace. Thank you. God bless. Blueprint for black power. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Good night, gentlemen. All right. Very interesting call from uh, the brother. Interesting call and an interesting perspective on somebody that uh, wasn't born here. You're going to have to start paying me, brother. You know, <laughs> yeah, don't don't laugh, man. We're going to have this conversation about what I'm worth. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I, hey, hey, listen. I want to, I want to, I, I just want to clarify something. When I, I said something earlier about I don't work with crazy folks. I don't want to. I don't want to seem like I'm being crass when I said that. So I want to just clarify that. I, I don't work with people that don't respect others' time, and really not about the business of what they're saying they're about. And, and it's all about confusion. So I just want to clarify that. So I don't want to think anybody because that that word crazy could be taken a myriad of ways. I, I just want to clarify that. Listen, before we wind up this evening, I want to thank uh, Mr. McKay again, Robert uh, McKay, for arranging uh, Reverend Pinckney to give us a call. Uh, I'll be reaching out to Reverend Pinckney moving forward because I know that a lot of things are going on behind the scenes to try to help him. And and hopefully our prayers can go out to him. The Lord watch over him while he's in the belly of the beast so he can come back out here and and, uh, continue his work. And we can do some things also by going to uh, the site that Reggie gave uh, with the uh, uh, Banco. Yeah, I gotta get it. I gotta get it again. Yeah, also. but uh, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, Time for Awakening uh, Facebook fan page, and you can see the information up there. It's uh, B- it's uh, bhbanco.org. I'm sorry, yeah. bhbanco.org. All right, and uh, again, you hear the advertisers on the program, but. Uh, and you've heard us talking about it, so go to IamOneOfTheMillion.com. That's IamOneOfTheMillion.com. Read the planks. Look at the mission statement. The 21 different planks. It's something there that you can do. Get in where you fit in, and let's go to work. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion, as always. And we'll be back next week, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.